0: Wind gouts of superheated green hellfire Tearing down the tight hab corridors of life We are the cleansing belch of Prometheum 665.66 UHMR ChemRat Radio Coming to you live tonight from Bexy's Flackin'
1: Jack And check, fellas Just saying Good thing we're looking at decent weather all week As the four-armed emperors have grown a little restless once again With sightings of giant rats in the thermo-districts It looks like it's time to dust off your hardware and get extermination season started all over, boys. Gotta love the
2: creds Footheads
1: program. I will be your swashbuckling
0: bushwhacker on this tour of Inner mouth Goblin King, joined today by the steel-minded trap of geological geography, Marky. What it is, O's? And the polar bear of the frost hollow bringing up the rear, making sure we don't get shanked by any
1: oversized rats. It's Chuckerfly.
2: Kind of hard when I'm bringing up the rear. Pay attention to rats.
1: Dizzy, no. <laughs> that's that's exactly what comes to mind when it's like not getting shanked in the back. It's just dizzy getting fucking penetrated by a ara- arachnid. By, by a
2: four armed emperor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Speaking and of them, emperors. Them
1: long claws. <laughs>
0: Welcome to episode 73 of Under the Hive of Madness, part one of our coverage on the Emperor of Mankind and his genetically crafted sons, the Primarchs. Right on the heels of our coverage of the Unification Wars, we're going to take some time to explore who the Emperor actually is and what his plans were for the next era or several eras of humanity. These next two episodes will have more than a handful of spoilers for any of our listeners who are currently reading either the Horus Heresy or Siege of Terra books. This uh, this is your warning. We are getting into lore that is in those books or explored more deeply in those books. Sanguinius dies, you bastard! <laughs>
2: so, 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 I got a question.
1: All right, e- e- yes, Samper e- e- is a dick. Marky hate, but Marky I'll hates, accept Marky it. hates him.
2: Yeah, Marky hates him right right this second. Marky's like my boys. Look what he did to my boys. (laughs) Uh. Yeah, Ryan, you always talk about inspiration and all that for writing. Do you think the artwork... Now, I I have my idea where the looks of the emperor comes from for the artwork. Mm -hmm. And I showed Ryan the other day. Oh. Do you you uh, think uh, I might be onto something? I can
0: actually kind of say with the 80s artwork when yes be- when this sort of stuff started to come out definitely in the earlier stuff to like john blanche i think more of it came out of like a roman
2: okay style. He,
0: but at the same time I, what is his name the guy who played carlo Montabon. thank you and he, he plays has a Kong. very he has a very classical like yes. mediterranean look and yep. the emperor is depicted as somebody with a classical mediterranean look
2: And, and the thing with him too, is when you you get a little bit of my theory on tangent of where, where the ideas of the look came from. When you watch the old Star Trek, the original Star Trek series, Ricardo Montalban's character, Khan, is first introduced, it is straight up the Emperor of Mankind. And the whole Geon Ocean Wars and how he was created he, yeah. with genetics and all that.
0: He even kind of has the Roman, like his yep. original costuming in the original. I can see it. I think you had to point it out for it. But, I mean,
1: definitely the armor style is very f- f- Roman. So for uh, for people who don't know... Not not saying myself. You uh, are sure. no, not not saying myself. What what is a Mediterranean look, Ryan? That dark skin, light skin, so olive complexion, black hair, darker eyes. Okay.
0: So middle, uh, you know, Greek, Palestinian, yeah. Middle Eastern. Yeah, I knew looking, that
2: roughly. Yeah. Plus, plus, for Ricardo Montalban was yoked, even as an older man,
1: <laughs> the emperor's a real piece of work. He is. He's a real piece of work. Very glorious.
2: <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there you go. There 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 he is in the in the movie. Old con. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say that movie's probably the ones that I'm
0: gonna be able to find the easiest. Yeah. But if you haven't seen Wrath of Khan, watch a great movie. Go go back and watch Wrath of Khan. It's good. I actually had somebody really succinctly put into words my opinion of the Star Trek reboot stuff today. Essentially, I like it because it is definitely a new, more action centric, action heavy version of Trek. But it is not Star Trek, and I I agree with that. I really like the Star Trek reboot, Star Trek, Star Trek Discovery, and Star Trek Beyond. Is that the third one? The ones so, with yeah. Into Darkness is the one with Khan. Yeah. That's right. The, the reboot cast. I really like them. They're very, very good sci-fi action movies, but they're missing that like sit in stew and contemplative horror and silence that the original star trek had not so much the more campy original star trek stuff but the like star trek overall feel from the from the original movies and everything they very much had a tendency to introduce something to you and then let you sit in it they wanted you to sit and think about it for a bit as where the new ones are very much like more not star wars is the wrong way to look at it because it's definitely not that but yeah it's it's more
1: action-packed what do you call it the michael like michael bay yeah, Michael, Michael Bay.
0: Bay. <laughs> yeah, things like to blow up. We had three shorts we were going to make. We only ended up making one. It was Laura Croft and the beard of J.J. J. Abrams. <laughs> she goes and she steals J.J. J. <laughs> Laura Croft goes on a mission to steal J.J. J. Abrams' beard. And <laughs> it, it it's great. It's a short. It's with the guys that I used to make movies with. I wrote it. I'm in it. I'm I'm one of the bad guys in it. Uh, we chased one of my friends at, who plays Laura Croft. But we had two others planned. The next one was... Nathan Drake and the fire extinguisher of Michael Bay, where we were going to blow up as much random shit as we possibly could. (laughs) And then we were toying around with either doing master chief and the stopwatch of Zack Snyder. So everything would have been in slow-mo for no fucking reason. So, (laughs) so in the, in Laura Croft and the beard of JJ Abrams, there's a lot of lens flares. That's the gag. That's the running gag is there's a lot of lens flares, but it's an action short, you know, it's like a two and a half minute action short yeah. But there's just lens flares for no reason. And then the other thing we were toying around with was uh, I cannot remember the other hero. It was another. It was another like video game hero. But the item they were going after was the boots of Tom Cruise. And the gag there would be that like no matter what they'd always be running because if you watch a Tom Cruise movie, he's always fucking running. Yep. Tom Cruise stands still and delivers the line, or he's fucking running. <laughs> there's no in between. <laughs> That's funny. Anyway, so we made J.J. Abrams, or we made Laura Croft and the beard of J.J. Abrams. Um, I'll I'll link it in our Discord for our listeners. For those of you who might be listening to the episode, you can either join us on Discord to figure out where that video is or just go to YouTube and search Laura Croft and the beard of J.J. Abrams and it'll come up. You'll see me as a bald thug firing a shotgun.
2: nice
1: <laughs>
0: bald thug
1: number three
0: yeah pretty much i think i'm credited as like like yeah like thug number three or whatever so
2: <laughs> so like a thunder warrior
0: yeah pretty much wow. pretty
2: much thanks
0: wow. thanks chuck
2: makes yeah i me feel good all, I Had to loop it all yeah. back in makes me
0: feel good right there All right, guys. So, without further adieu, I haven't said that in a while. We're
2: back. Without
0: further ado, we're going to jump into the meat and potatoes of the episode. For those of you who joined us early on, you'll have remembered us reading this in the past, but it's been a couple of years, and we're diving into the Emperor of Mankind, so we're going to read it again.
3: For more than a hundred centuries, the Emperor has sat immobile on the golden throne of Earth. He is the master of mankind. By the might of his inexhaustible armies, a million worlds stand against the dark. Yet, he is a rotting carcass. The carrion lord of the Imperium held in life by the marvels of the dark age of technology and the thousand souls sacrificed each day so that his may continue to burn. To be a man in such times is to be one against untold billions. It is to live in the cruelest and most bloody regime imaginable. It is to suffer an eternity of carnage and slaughter. It is to have the cries of anguish and sorrow drowned by the laughter of dark gods. This is a dark and terrible era where you will find little comfort or hope. Forget the power of technology and science. Forget the promise of progress and advancement. Forget any notion of common humanity and compassion. There is no peace amongst the stars. or in the grim darkness of the far future, there is only war.
0: Such a great line i think we read the pre-9th edition crawl originally this is the post-9th edition crawl this is the updated Uh. Ah. the emperor of mankind referred to by the imperial faithful as the god emperor and holding the title of master of mankind the emperor is an immortal perpetual and psyker he acts as the monarch of the imperium of man an organization he forged through the use of foresight science and warfare on a galactic scale. In the modern era of 40k, he is seen as the father, guardian, and god of humanity by the ecclesiarchy and the imperial cult, which acts as a state-run and empowered religious theocracy over millions of worlds that humanity now inhabits. The forces of chaos refer to him, however, as the false emperor or the corpse emperor, while the chaos gods and demons of the warp themselves refer to him simply as the anathema for he is the greatest embodiment of universal order in the galaxy and the most potent foe of those ruinous powers. The Emperor is and has remained the most powerful human Psyker to have ever been born.
1: I don't think I've ever heard that before. What? Ian, anathema? 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 Anathema is a word that gets thrown
0: around 40k a lot. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of novels. Anathema. There's the ameth blades or amanth blades, which... I know Erebus has one. I think somebody else has one too. But anathema is the exact opposite of you, essentially. Hmm. So uh, if a paragon is the highest order something can be, the anathema of a paragon would be a demon
2: and vice versa. Okay, I got you. That's why he holds the dark at bay. Yeah, he's he's essentially, he's like oil to their water. Right. He is the light and knows it and didn't want to be worshipped. Just saying. <laughs> or did he or was it all planned chuck was it all planned i mean i mean he is all seeing and knowing i wouldn't say that can we get our tinfoil hats out
1: (laughs) if he was all seeing and all knowing why didn't see why didn't he see that blade strike come from uh come from horace maybe maybe he
0: did and he specifically had to stand where he stood or Sanguinius would oh wait (laughs) A spoiler alert. <laughs> where's the where's sad violin sound?
2: <laughs> ah, for Sanguinius. Like, like if you're... if My if boy. They
1: killed my boy. Like, if you have the foresight to see that...
2: He has a choice. Yeah. And he we'll, has to we'll choose in. a specific way. We'll get into it. We're going to get there. He's going to dig into it.
0: The true answer is the emperor, like a lot of things in Warhammer 40k. And this is, this is a conversation that we've had a lot on the podcast. It's a conversation we have a lot in our community. A lot of the stuff in Warhammer 40k was written specifically open-ended. So when they go back and they fill in details and they expand on something, there's a huge gut reaction to be like, I can't believe they retconned the lore. They didn't retcon the lore the lore that you think existed had not been written and the community had filled it in. And then the company has gone back and expanded on it. And in some cases it lines up with what the community has been theorizing for years. And in other cases it doesn't, but 40 K not 40 K games workshop, very, very specifically wrote as loose of an outline as they possibly could. And then they constantly kind of go back and fill it in. And, the main mechanism they use to write this way is that they present all of the lore of the Warhammer 40k universe from the perspective of the Imperial propaganda machine, which is feeding it to the citizens of the Imperium. It gives them this big get out of jail card, uh, get out of jail free card when they need to use it because they can basically go, well, of course, it was just Imperial propaganda. We're now telling you more of the details because now more has been discovered. But the reason it used to be said this way, it was Imperial propaganda.
2: And Give me more of that Kool-Aid.
0: Yeah, and this is one of those episodes where we are going to peel back a couple of layers of Imperial propaganda, because as we stated up at the beginning of the episode, again, I guess this is your your second spoiler warning, a lot of this lore is being written as we're recording this episode, meaning that a lot of the end books of the Horus Heresy are coming out and the Siege of Terra books are being released around the time that we're recording the episode. If you're coming to us a couple of years from now, welcome. Catch up. We've we've done a lot, and I'm sure we've done a lot more. A lot of the things that we're peeling back now are fresh-ish. You know, they're only a couple of years old. Strap in, strap yeah. on. <laughs> tune out. <laughs> what did they <laughs> used to say in MTV? Strap in,
2: shut up, tune out, whatever it was. Oh, man, I don't remember. It's been a minute. Yeah. I, just, I just remember. I can't remember her name, but that one VJ was hot. Carmen Electra? oh no, geez. She, she that goes without saying no there was another one <laughs> Is
1: there that one of those things where like if you don't know what it is you can't afford it you, you don't VJ? know what mtv uh video jockey you ever hear of mtv of uh, i'm jockey. talking
2: about mtv now we're on a tangent but old mtv i mean Back i didn't have cable videos. when i was
1: a kid so i only got a video
2: little. jockeys
1: what what is that particular? Instead of
2: a disc jockey,
1: yeah. So
0: instead of having you know like a like a DJ on the radio, we're like, yeah, that was
3: Shaka Khan's hit song. <laughs> Shaka
0: Khan, <laughs> <laughs> love
3: love in November. Next up, we've got Motley Crue's Live Wire. These are two bands that never would be put together, but right. it doesn't matter.
0: <laughs> so a VJ would essentially come on like every five or six videos and be like.
1: These are the top five videos, blah, 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 that hit the charts, and blah, blah, blah. We'll now be watching Backstreet Boys. Now, oops, I did it again. Or that might be Britney Spears or (laughs) something. Britney Spears. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, Whatever the hell the Backstreet Boys did. Now we're going to listen
0: to the Backstreet Boys' hit song, (laughs) Britney's Back, Bitch.
1: (laughs) Does she have a song like that? (laughs) Yeah, something. Oh, man. That's all funny. right. know okay. I, yeah, I didn't know. Mixing I didn't know they up our them. pop artists from the late 90s there.
0: Oh, my God. <laughs> and you now for Adler Ravine's hit song, Ba to the Wa to the Wiggity Wiggity Diggity Zag Ziggity or whatever the fuck the name of that song was. No, uh. not
2: back to our PJ. Ryan.
0: <laughs> That's right. Our man. podcast jockey. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love it. Perpetuals, as their name implies, are members of a mutual branch of humanity that are superhuman in ability and immortal. Some were born as perpetuals, while others were granted these powers through genetic manipulation and advanced technologies. Both the Xenos Alliance, known as the Cabal, and the Emperor of Mankind are known to have created several perpetuals. They are able to survive dismemberment, suffocation, decapitation, and even disintegration by either energy weapons or, in some cases, planetary reentry. Their bodies heal at an extremely high rate due to their cellular regeneration. This also acts to keep them from aging. And to specify, it says keeps them from aging, but obviously they're not babies in diapers. They probably get to like 25, 35, and that's where they appear to physically stop aging. They don't age past whatever prime is
1: considered for their species or their Yeah, they age to like their peak performance, and then they kind of stay there. This is what top performance looks like.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Toward the end of the Unification Wars, the Emperor, with the aid of Malkador the Sigilite, Erda, and the geneticist Amar Astardi, created artificial perpetuals to guide humanity throughout the times of turmoil to come. This was named the Primarch Project and led to the creation of the 20 Primarchs and later the Space Marine Legions. Amar Astardi was the first director of the Imperial Biotechnical Division and gave her name to the project of creating the first space marines, the Legionos Astartes. Actually, I thought that was kind of cool. That's somebody's last name. That's
2: Astardi. usually how things work, too, with scientists. Yep. Yeah. Totally makes sense.
0: Dude, that, so that's I newer,
2: at- by the way. That's, that's one of those, like, newer newer lore.
1: So I looked at, yeah, because, you know, they didn't have Amar Space Marine that created the (laughs) in the 90s back before the ip was
0: finalized there was not a mar space marine i like that
3: but i
1: kind of want to go back and read that in the rogue trader book (laughs) right uh oh damn it i forgot my thought what were we talking about perpetuals uh
2: naming stuff after yourself how great the emperor is
1: damn it i lost it yeah we weren't
2: talking about that
0: uh Amara Stardy was the first director of the Imperial Biotechnical Division and gave her name to the project creating the first space marines,
1: Maldecor It had something to do with the uh, I was going to lead it with something else, but the being able to create <laughs> perpetuals. Right. Okay. But only doing it to like a certain degree, like if you can create something that could live forever, why not why wouldn't you create more, I guess? Is it because of like
0: Lack Cir- of circumstances, circumstances that will be revealed as we dig more into the Emperor. So, that but to answer your question, the Cabal and the Eldar Farseers have created several human perpetuals. And mm. from what I understand, the only so Eldar aren't perpetuals because if an Eldar dies. Their, their soul goes into a soul stone, and then that soul stone can be put into a machine, which, which grants them extra life. However, before the birth of Slanish, Eldari used to be able to become perpetual because they would basically return to the warp and then re- choose to reincarnate in their own body. So they lost the ability to be perpetuals when Slanish was born. Um, I don't think we have enough... That's tough. It's Lord. a lifestyle they chose. Yeah, it's tough. I don't think we have enough lore to suggest who might, who else might be perpetuals, but for the context of this episode and the context of this information, as far as humanity knows, the only race that can be perpetuals is humans. Yeah, too much fucking. Like I said, I think from a so th- with wider hate. universe, I think we talked about this in the last couple episodes, from a wider universal perspective, I believe perpetuals can be born to anything um, I believe there actually have been. I think there is an orc, almost like blanks, where they think, they're just born. Yeah, maybe they're it, just it born. Just I think there is an orc perpetual. I can't remember his name, mm. but there's an orc who's died like ten times and just keeps like coming back for some just reason. Just
2: keeps coming back as he wants to. Yeah,
0: and and, and of course that could mm. be it, we'll find. And maybe they're called something different in every race, it, you know. But I could see a tau perpetual happening eventually. The biggest boy, the biggest. <laughs> so as far as we know, the emperor chose to sacrifice his immortal life at the end of
1: the Horus Heresy in order to protect and serve mankind. That's that was the answer to my question. He chose to get yes, get yep. his back blown out by Horus, so that
2: way he could sit on the throne and yep. have some privacy. Can he do that while being <laughs> a...
0: finally
1: take a shit without his kids bugging him? Can he... <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. You know, at that a certain... they do it call is. it that's... the
3: throne. I mean, like. Yeah.
1: At a certain point, you just say "fuck it," right? So maybe that maybe he was at that point, like after Horace had cried enough, he was just you know he's like you know what, fuck it, just just yep. take me out. All Fine, I right? yeah, done. You just can it, I don't even want to. Use it. my body to fucking to keep chaos away. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna chill. Like I I think it's time for me to take a nap. Kind okay. of th- kind of situation. Could be he's just fed up. Since he chose
0: to give up his life to protect and serve mankind. He has sat immobile, his body slowly crumbling within the golden throne of Terra for 10,000 standard years. His shattered, decaying body, no longer capable of sustaining life, is kept intact only by the cybernetic life support mechanisms of the throne itself. His potent mind is sustained by a daily sacrifice of thousands of lives. Though he is no longer responsive, the Emperor still sits at the center of the brutal and tyrannical bureaucracy that is the harsh reality of the Imperium. His powerful psychic presence in the warp, or immaterium, maintains and directs the light of the Astronomicon. This is the psychic beacon that allows for faster-than-light travel and communication. Vital parts of any functioning empire possibly even more important for one that spans the mind-numbing expanses of the Milky Way galaxy. It is in the maintenance of this beacon that the life force of 1,000 psychers is slowly drained away every day, so the Emperor can maintain the mental strength needed. To sustain the light of the Astronomicon, the High Lords of Terra rule in his name only, guiding the innumerable cogs of the Adaptus Terra, Adaptus Mechanicus, and Adaptus Ministorum.
1: So the <clears throat> the, the little Emperor's tithe thing, where like he has to take the thousand psychers on the black ships and blah blah blah, sacrifice them. Well, how do they know that that was needed? Like, is that like one of his di- like his dying sentences of Make sure you sacrifice a thousand. I imagine in, trial and as, error.
0: They probably had enough psychic prisoners following the siege of Terra that they well, I so I think it's twofold. I the They haven't written choir, that. Yet. Right. The choir of the well they have written some of it. So the choir of the Astronomicon has existed since I think second or third edition. And the choir of the Astronomicon is a thousand psychers that you know I think it it might be more than a thousand psychers. Hey, it I might think, be I ten thousand psychers yeah. that accompany the emperor. They're not in the throne room. They're essentially in a chamber above the throne room that the right, beacon right. is filtered through. And I think the way that it's been described in novels is more along the lines of a thousand of those guys die every day, and yeah. they're burnt out. You know, their life essence is essentially burnt out because the emperor feeds on it. So. They found out, you know, well, we, let's just say we had 30,000 guys that worked in the choir of the Astronomicon and it's been 30 days and now there's (laughs) 10,000.
1: So he's essentially like a rechargeable battery for the Astronomicon. His body is the battery and those psychers that are being sacrificed are essentially recharging his psychic energy to keep the Astronomicon lit. Right. Right. is kind of what's going on. And originally you had to be an astropath to be
0: in the choir and now you just have to be a potent enough psyker because they now understand that proximity of a powerful psyker is more important than training in the astropath and in, in yeah. astropathy are,
2: are you now are you going to touch on see this is why i hate i stopped reading the, the novels Are you going to touch on uh, with one of these episodes of uh, who was supposed to actually sit in that throne? No, it wasn't the emperor.
0: We're not going to talk about the Ember, the emperor's webway project and the golden throne in this, in either of these episodes. Uh, Well, I take that back. If you would like to, we can talk about it next episode, but I, I meant these more to be like an introduction Introduction to the emperor and then a conversation about the primarch. So
1: I don't mean to play the, the what if and the, you know, devil's advocate and the, you know, just be the, please do the douchebag that asks the stupid questions, but you know, that's kind of who I am. It's what you're here yeah, for. That's what we hired. It you really for. is. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's really what I'm here for. So when everybody <laughs> listens to this and they roll their eyes and they're like, "Marky, shut the fuck up, dude. And Please, like no, Jesus Christ. I love when we your cast, questions.
0: When we cast for Marky, when Marky and I sat down yeah. and we're looking at all of the people that were applying for the role, yeah, Ryan already
1: is trying to replace trying. me with Emmy and I, was, I had to put a stop to that <laughs> i'd be like emmy you can't be funnier than me all right this needs to
0: stop <laughs> our casting notes for marquis read as marquis and i were looking at all these applicants was you know the kid from uncle the, the kid who questions john candy as uncle buck in <laughs> national lampoons that's who we need and then marquis was like well why are we even having these actors read i can do this and then we We sent Chris Pratt home. We sent Chris (laughs) Evans home. We sent everybody. What's the other Chris? Chris uh, Hemsworth? (laughs) Sent Chris Chris Hemsworth Hemsworth home. We kicked him the fuck out. You Uh, know, we said, sorry, Mr. Cavill. It's just not going (laughs) to (laughs) work.
1: We already have this position filled. You can't be the quirky guy that doesn't know where he is half the time. We ever get big and any of those people listen to the podcast? Like, oh, Really? Man, email up, up email
0: me, huh? me right now. <laughs> we'll talk. I'll have you on. <laughs> we're oh, just we're funny. just playing. You guys are great in your respective roles. Yeah. All right. okay, I ain't, so, I ain't gonna I ain't gonna you suck, your dick, Henry. If
1: you want to be here, all right, you gotta you gotta bring something to the table. Okay. <laughs> I'm not here I'm not here to be like, oh Henry Cavill, please. No, hell no, Henry. What do you but, what do you have to bring? He, but at the
0: same time at the same time, Henry, if you're looking for like minded individuals that you, put yeah. lore above you, yeah. fucking rewriting for content, we put lore above rewriting for
1: content. And yeah, we will gladly pitch horrible
0: underhive stories. I know the bar is really <laughs> low, but you can't,
1: you can't be funnier than me. I'm sorry, Henry. It's just not gonna work out if that's the case. Just everything yeah. else can be better, just not funnier. That's right. Yeah, you're we're already, also, we're already also gonna. Looked, <laughs> We're also going to dunk on custodes a lot, so just. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you're already you're already a beautiful human being, all right. You can let me have the small thing that I have, which is being a snarky little just, asshole, which is telling dick and asshole jokes exactly. on a podcast. Yeah, Got no it. one no one can do it like me. Uh,
2: so so what was so your what
0: was uh, your devil's advocate? Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: Anyways, uh, to get back to to circle back to my my original point, if. Uh, if the emperor wasn't originally supposed to be sitting on the throne and he could essentially be or created a device or engineered a device or...
2: He created cre- a being to sit on the throne.
1: Right. Why, why, why did he choose to get stabbed in the, in the face by Horus when he could have essentially created because something else to be the Astronomicon? When we get into the Primarchs... Is it like a Jesus thing? Like sacrificed himself so that way he could kind, kind treat, of yeah. there there's a lot of parallels between the just religion biblical. In yeah
2: it all yeah. it all goes back to you know and forgive me for being this way, but I am a father when your kids that should know better should do something and they don't, you gotta do it yourself like say take the trash
0: out i don't yeah. think that's a father thing i think that's an angry old man thing because no, i do nope, that at work no nope, nope. there, <laughs> sure
2: there's fathers they'll be listening and you finally it's, get to that point where you just say fuck it. it fuck it i'm doing it myself yeah there you go <laughs> to answer your question
0: a little bit more succinctly the emperor created tools to help him along this path and those tools the, the perpetuals that he created are then the Primarchs. Created a
1: thicker chest plate
0: right are the primarchs um the primarch who is supposed to sit on the golden throne was no longer able and the golden throne wasn't supposed to be sat in constantly it was actually supposed to kind of trade off between three individuals one of those individuals is malkador one of those individuals is the emperor one of those individuals is one of the primarchs and we'll name him in the future and talk about him when we get there the other thing that was happening or the next step that was happening and this is This happens during the great crusade and we will definitely touch on it as we continue with this ancient history stuff that we're talking about. But the, there was a webway portal on earth. The old ones had built a webway portal on earth and it connected to the webway and the emperor knew this because, and we'll actually reveal this in a couple of minutes. The emperor had traveled to another planet during the dark age of technology and found another webway portal and had entered that one and had made it back to earth. So the emperor knew of the webway and he knew that a portion of it was mappable and his plan was to stabilize the webway portal that was on earth and then start to stabilize the webway in close proximity to earth so that humanity no longer had to use warp drives in the Geller field for all of their travel. Yep. That was the next portion of the plan. And what happened essentially was of kids somebody who shall remain nameless until we bring him up decided <sighs> that he absolutely had to tell his dad that his brother was being an asshole and fucked up the webway portal really bad, allowing a bunch of demons to flood into the Imperial palace, which caused the custodes to essentially have to secure that webway portal. And then it meant that somebody in this case, Malkador, Had to immediately sit in the golden throat and start powering it before it was done. So it's a mixture. It's a mixture of it wasn't finished and it wasn't occupied by the person who was supposed to be occupying it. It A victim of circumstance. And yes, and
2: there was a lot of dad, 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 dad. (laughs) You need to. You need, i had you a need lot to of that now.
0: today you need to know now you need to know now
2: <laughs> and then
0: it's like it's like stewie saying mom a bunch and then lois being like yep. what and stewie's like exactly. i love you and google giggles and runs
2: away <laughs> exactly <laughs> that but instead of mom dad yeah. Yeah, who's, yeah who's dad instead
1: yeah there's definitely points in my life uh like today for example where i just wanted to tell everybody to shut the fuck up See so you get to, it so, yeah yeah 100 i get it i get it. So she, I, I also get why why you got his cheeks clapped by horace now yeah. it's just like you know what just dude just just fucking take my life like just do it <laughs> yeah. like if you were like oh God, man. If, if having to deal with all of your little shitty shitty emotions wasn't enough now now
2: <laughs> now it's like uh, you, you nailed dude, it <laughs> yeah y'all are a bunch of all bitches. right so anyway ryan sorry we got on that tangent So the Emperor still
0: guides his Imperium using the psychically reactive divination tool known as the Emperor's Tarot, or at least some claim he does. Selective and especially attuned psychers are used to consult the Tarot in attempts to glimpse the future of the Emperor's will. It is also said that he remains locked in a constant battle with the Chaos Gods deep within the warp, his efforts keeping them from any further intrusions into the material universe. His vigil is never-ending, and it safeguards the continued existence of the Imperium of Man and the teeming masses of humanity that call it home. Mankind's collective belief in the Emperor's divinity, reinforced by the Imperial Creed, is their greatest protection against the ruinous powers of chaos. As it has been uttered on the lips of even those with a tenuous grasp of faith for the last 10,000 years, the Emperor does in fact protect.
1: Is he like an antivirus? Like if we're going to like make a, a analogous statement about it, uh, yeah, would, would I it guess be like he would be like an antivirus
0: in a way. It's also a psychic feedback loop. So as against the emperor's wishes as Levitica divinity divinitis is divinitis was, that's the, that's the document that the Imperial creed is based on
2: the Psychic belief. And is that like the Constitution. He,
0: it's that. No, it's no. the
2: Bible. It's oh, okay. That one of the Primarchs wrote. It wasn't oh. written by a Primarch.
0: Well, it was written by a Primarch. It w- it was written by a Primarch, but then it was greatly rewritten by the first saint of the Imperial Church, New which Testament. Is the Remembrancer. Um, oh yeah, Keener. Keener rewrote large portions of it, uh, but basically. As much as the emperor didn't want anybody to think of him as a god, humanity's beliefs and humanity's emotions ripple against the warp. Constantly. Almost as greatly as Eldari emotions ripple against the warp. So the fact that enough people have faith in the emperor actually allows or creates a psychic feedback loop. Which feeds into the Emperor's power and allows the Emperor to continue to be the Emperor. It's almost like
1: Wa energy
0: in a yes. sense. Or the Chaos Demon or Chaos God that has replaced the Emperor is continuing to. And that's the thing with a lot of this stuff. As far as the Imperium is concerned, the Emperor is still alive and the Emperor's will is still exerting itself through the Immaterium. As far as a lot of heretics are concerned, and heretics being people who don't believe the imperial truth 100%, and as far as a lot of Xenos scholars are kind of concerned, they're not quite sure that the emperor has been alive at all for the last 10,000 years. It may just be that the emperor's soul is active in the warp and is not reincarnating into his body because he can't, he can't stop fighting. One or two, it may not be the emperor. The emperor might be fucking dead, and there's just some fifth chaos god who has taken on this mantle and is fighting for humanity's side for some reason. Yeah, and that, I, I realize, that chaos god
1: being essentially the belief right, in it from human civilization. From and
0: I realize that it's weird to look at one of the ruinous powers or to, to look at one of the chaos gods as a good guy, not as one of the ruinous powers. But remember even the traditional ruinous powers constantly fucking fight with each other and Gork yeah. and Mork who are also chaos gods constantly fight. Well, they don't really fight cause they can swat them all dead really fast, but they also aren't in line with the ruinous powers. So there are entities in chaos in, in the, the warp, warp that yeah. are not, the bat the, the the four bad guys and, right. and giant air quotes
1: around bad guys because yeah, and i think we talked about yeah. it before about the tau chaos god right right
0: the belief the human belief that the tau yeah that the humans believe that the tau must have a psychic representation so the human belief of tau psychic representation has created made a, Tao a god. small <laughs> chaos god yeah right small right.
1: small tau chaos god right
0: and, and there are rumblings as of the recording of this episode that there is a fifth chaos god on the horizon. So if a fifth chaos god has been revealed, just realize we recorded this before that happened.
1: <laughs> what would it be, do you think? Uh, I, not, to, not to keep I derailing. Think,
0: but. I think if the rights have reverted on the idea of Malal, which Malal stopped being a fifth chaos god, a minor chaos god, in like third or fourth edition because of a rights disagreement. I think if that stuff is last, they'll bring it back. And I think that will be because there is published. I mean, the, there's the Sons of Malal, which yeah. is a chaos band. And there's a couple of novels that refer to it, it or him. What is I, the emotion or like the... Uh, I think the... Malal is mischief. Oh, okay. Oh, so almost I, like a Loki, like I a believe, trickster god. Yeah, I believe that Malal is the human version of uh, Kegarak. Oh, okay. Right. I,
1: was, I was actually going to say, isn't uh, Kegarak essentially
0: yeah. that? Yeah. yeah. Well, and, the, and there's that. I think the other chance is maybe we'll see one of the major chaos gods. Or not one of the major chaos gods. One of the major Eldari gods come back. Now, all of the Eldari gods, in theory, are still around. Well, some of the old chaos gods, are uh, some of the old Eldari gods, I keep saying chaos gods, are still around. Like Aisha, for instance, who is an Eldari god, is captive in Nurgle's garden. So Isn't technically, Kain also
1: a chaos god. Uh, yes, like the but avatar as far Kain? as we're
0: aware, Cain is destroyed, and that's why they have to use a summon shard. the
3: avatar of Cain. They have to use uh, a shard of Cain to bring him
0: back. But I could see Cain coming back as well. I could see Asurion, who's the leader, come back, the major Eldar god. Mm. Um, I, but at the same time, I, with you know, keeping my tinfoil hat on for a little bit longer here. Or not a Surian, a Sur- Assyrian, Assyrian. One of them's the hero and one of them, one of them is the god. And I, I have the names crossed in my head, I'm pretty sure. Anyway, putting my tinfoil hat back on for a minute, I also would not be surprised if they do reveal lore-wise that the Emperor is dead and that the Emperor is another chaos entity.
1: Essentially, his, bo- his, body, his physical body is used as a battery. His soul is passed on to the warp or passed on somewhere. Fighting the gods yeah. or something, right? And then there's some other figure yeah. that is posing as the a chaos god that is... Yes, essentially. Like, yeah.
0: he's, he's in the warp, or maybe he's even been reincarnated somewhere already. Oh. And is already... Tinfoil hat is still very securely on. An interesting <laughs> story element would be a Splinter Empire rises in the Imperium Nihilus, led by a very charismatic, incredibly powerful Psyker, who is actually the fucking Emperor Reborn.
1: What if but, that's what the Tyranids are running from? That'd be fucking dope. That, <laughs> would, be, that would be awesome. Right? But nobody in the Imperium
0: believes this other Empire. That would be yeah, that a would be the very, very,
1: very interesting story beat.
0: I don't know if it had happened... There.
1: Um, it and, probably could be, because GW likes hey, to ride, you well, know, human when, human dick. So it's hey, like, and
2: that's when that's when the other Loyalist Primarks come back and they're yeah. at no, his now, side. Now
1: he has twenty daughters, and the, because of you know how the world is nowadays, he has twenty daughters that are that are three times as powerful. Or just the two lost? Well, no, no, he recreated them because he has to create them better, right? That's what he did with the Thunder Warriors. So he has to he repeats his. You know the way he defeats the process. So, yeah,
0: he the process. So we have the, the so we have primaris. So we have the secondaris marines. <laughs> yeah, that are the
1: the sons or maybe even the daughters because you can't create you know male male gene seed from a female or something. I don't know. Yeah, just to get into it, it's it's a he's reborn as a female emperor has twenty female Primarch daughters, whatever. Or if there's a female Marky, equivalent to the Primarch. and then they Marky have he just wants the female space mankind, marines. It's fine that are that are all overpowered, that are pushing the Tyranids into our known hey, universe. Mark, that's, you, that's the one I'm talking are about Are you happy? Right there. Did you hey, want to hey, see your Empress one, yeah, of Mankind? That's the one. Is,
0: that's all you wanted? Yeah. Where are your hands? Show me your uh, hands. I'm <laughs> all about it. It's under this pillow.
1: Um, uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. And then, and, then, and then as he's wiping out the Tyranids, they're like, that's not our Emperor. And then they strike down the, uh, what do you call them, the lesser... Male space Marines, and now, yeah, you know where I'm going with this. Marky is one hundred percent doing the like the jeep is stopped on the tracks in Jurassic
0: Park, and yes. Ian Malcolm is flirting with ellie i can't remember her last name in the jeep and 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 and, and he does the Man create or wait? No, the flirting is done. Man creates. I've already dropped a little drop, little water, drop, little water. Yeah. God creates dinosaurs. God destroys dinosaurs. God creates man. Man destroys God. Man creates dinosaurs. Dinosaurs destroy God. And then she chimes in from the front seat: "Women inherit the the earth." earth. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Marky just sees Warhammer forty k as Jurassic Park. That's right.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think it'd be hilarious. (laughs)
0: i think the other thing they might be doing and i this is really this dates the shit out of the show and we generally try not to do that but but please forgive us for the next five minutes i wonder if they're going to introduce a slan or an old one god because a lot of the modern seraphon releases for age of sigmar keep having lots of tech gadgets on it and the seraphon are described in age of sigmar as living on their world spaceships that they travel from realm to realm in so i would not i would be i would be surprised but in that like oh i'm very surprised no i wasn't i wasn't surprised like that (laughs) that like mixed reaction if they were all of a sudden like lord croak is the fifth chaos god He's now a dead old one. And because he's a dead old one and a slant in it, he's able to bridge. And the Seraphon now exists in both universes. I don't think they'll do a the universes are connected again, but I, I could see them being like, you do, it would be so The dope. Seraphon have figured out how to travel between both.
1: Yeah, It's actually Sigmar. Sigmar is the emperor. Yep. Reincarnated yep. In an, outside of our universe. And he's slowly growing his you know trying to empire trying to get back to 40 the 40k universe boom maybe <laughs> I mean, and then there's all sorts of stuff
0: all right so back to the origins of the emperor back to the emperor himself we're going to dip into the origins of the man the first official mention of the emperor in title and name and to specify we don't really know what his name is he's always just referred to as the emperor it's all he needs This first mention dates back to the first steps he took to unify Terra at the end of the Age of Strife. So this is, nobody really knew who he was. He wasn't really in the records in the records until the beginning or just before the beginning of the Unification Wars.
2: And are you going to touch on, there's rumors that he's the mystical things and old legends like, uh,
0: I'm going to get into what they officially have said, but yes. okay. Nice. So a lot is lost in the secrets of old earth or in the log march that legends take over time. Horace, however, does mention that the emperor lived in Anatolia in his own childhood when he recalled their first meeting. It's also well known that he, the emperor had been an immortal and an ancient, even before he had ascended to the golden throne. So by that, I mean, when the emperor and Horace first met, The Emperor revealed that he was born in Anatolia and he lived there during his childhood. I realize that that may have been a little confusing. It was Horace's first meeting Meeting. that Horace was recalling to a remembrancer about the Emperor. The Emperor is the first of the new man. This is most likely a reference to him being the first and greatest of the genetic mutation that leads to psychers. He is also the reincarnation of a collection of extinct shaman, sorcerers, and wise men who had guided mankind in prehistoric times. According to the legends, these potentially 12 great and powerful ancients took part in a ritual that funneled all of their power upon their death to the reincarnation of birth into a single being, into a single child. And it is suggested that these shamans and mystics had learned a, Of their own reincarnation. And through the understanding not only of the fact that they couldn't reincarnate, but also of their past lives, they had devised this death ritual, which resulted in the Emperor's birth. As the Emperor grew older and his powers as a Psyker grew, he in turn was able to learn of his past lives and was able to recall them in their thousands, adding all of the knowledge and experience of the thousands of lives that those shamans had lived before him in reincarnation into his own and that helped him that kind of leveled him up. You know, he gets all of this experience, he gets all of these memories and that kind of builds into this power feedback loop of the emperor's expansion very, very quickly.
2: So stop me. If I'm going to touch on it, but there was a reason. Wasn't there also a reason why they decided to do that? Uh, so in the uh, old writings or, or is that old, uh, may, you know, we, we were talking about earlier, yeah. like what we, we as fans have been filling in, like why they killed themselves off that way to create one soul.
0: So there had been speculation as to why he had done it. There had been speculation and there had been propaganda as why he had done it or why had, they had done it. Um, but in general, they had seen the need for humanity to be guided by something, by some being.
2: Did you, did you, in your research, did you ever touch on the stuff? Because I, I read one one of the thing reasons why they did that was those old psychers, they would go into the warp, like you were talking earlier, their souls would go into the warp, they would come back and be reincarnated, and there used to be more of them and fewer and fewer were coming back, and they realized because their souls were being eaten by the chaos gods. The chaos gods are slowly becoming stronger and stronger.
0: So it, in part, yes, I thought about doing here is the old lore and here is yeah, the I, lore that's being expanded like side by side. And then it, it kind of just seemed a little too confusing. Okay. But yes. So as they, as these mystics were being reincarnated, as they learned of their reincarnation, when we were able to tap into their own memories and their own past lives. They realized that the council of them was shrinking And they realized that part of the reason, or they theorized that part of the reason that their numbers were shrieking is that something was growing in the warp. At this time, though, in the, you know, this is after the war in heaven, before the fall of the Eldari, this is, we're talking pre-8th millennium BCE. So 8,000 years before the birth of the biblical figure of Christ Roughly speaking is the time period we're talking about. So okay. for 10,000 years before 2023, in that hazy-ish timeline, there were powers in the warp, but there were not gods in the warp. Things were starting to gestate and grow, but nothing existed yet, in, in air quotes. Like, you know, very, very heavy air quotes, because a lot of this stuff goes back and forth, and there's a lot of like, yeah. well... At what point did they exist and how did they come apart? You know, there, there's theories that corn exists been there, because never of the been it, there. right? The world was almost like yeah. a
1: primordial soup.
0: Yes. And this is in the primordial. The, these guys were going back and forth in the primordial soup days. Now, in the not modernized lore, but in the expanded lore that exists now, part of the answer to that may just be that these perpetuals weren't being reincarnated near each other. So if there was a tribe, say there was a genetic tribe of 100 perpetuals, let's just theorize here. As there were 20 tribes that lived in the Tigris-Euphrates River Valley, the cradle of civilization, in air quotes, as the elder members of this tribe died, there are only 12 tribes. So the likelihood that babies will be born to one of the 12 tribes and will be a reincarnated mem- member is greater but as one of those tribes migrates down into Egypt okay well now you know now there's a potential of a couple of thousand miles between your your collection of tribes and this other tribe so now maybe there's only 98 perpetuals being born okay well now those guys moved even further down and they've they've gone you know down into the the body bulk of Africa. Okay, well now there's 96 in the Tigris Euphrates. Okay, well some have gone north into Europe. Okay, well now there's 94 being born. Yeah. So, is it they're being eaten in the warp or is it humanity is spreading across the planet so they're not all next to each other anymore? You know, they they're not That's all neighbors yep. anymore. All and neighbors. and like what what side of the coin is that? But yes, they felt that they had run a council essentially that was trying to manipulate and direct the future development of humanity. And they realized that as they either got dispersed or whatever, their ability was growing lesser and lesser and lesser. It's also not official, official that it was 12 of them. It is official that several of them sacrificed themselves to be reincarnated into one. It could have just been a weird splinter for all we really know. It could have just been a weird death cult, you know, (laughs) Mar- oh, Marshall- that's awesome. The, car- the Carrion cult. Marshall Apple Applegatius of the <laughs> Havanis Gateus cult. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Marshall Applewhite of Heaven Gate is the guy that I'm using for that. That's the Haley Bop comic guy. He gets a bunch of guys together, and he's like, hey, guys, the comet's coming about. Let's all drink the Kool-Aid on Saturday and be reincarnated as the emperor. And everybody's like, that's great, Mr. Applewhite. Let's do it. <laughs> as far as we know, that's how the emperor was born. We don't know, and the the reason... I, I like that. The reason we don't know... <laughs> thank you. <laughs> the reason we don't know is twofold. For one... Gotta keep it that's open. That's so way back in the past that there are no... Actual written historical documents, as far as the real world is concerned, historically, we don't really know much pre-6,000 years before Common Era, because 6,000 years before 0 AD, the birth of Christ, there are no written records. That is the first written records come from about 6,000 years BCE. So that's part of it. But the other part of it is is exactly what you just said. There isn't really a reason to flesh it out. I mean, shit, it could have been old. Maybe it was the old ones. Like, we don't really know. Maybe the old ones were human. Maybe that's the reason the old ones aren't around anymore. Maybe we're what's left of the old ones. Oh, that's awesome. I, I like kinda, that, kinda, too. Kind of like the cork became the orc. The old ones became dumbass humans. <laughs> <laughs> and it's continuing to happen because dumbass humans are becoming dumber-ass ogren. I don't know, man. <laughs> there you go. All right. So one of the more accepted accounts of the origin of the emperor was that he was born in the 8th millennium BCE in a primitive Neolithic village on the banks of the Sakara River in Anatolia. For those taking better notes than Marky ever did in school, Anatolia yeah. is an ancient name used <laughs> for the region where Turkey currently resides between the Black and Mediterranean Seas. In his adolescence, his father was killed by his uncle, and while preparing his father's body for its funeral rites, he received a clairvoyant vision of the attack. It is said that he then approached his uncle, placed his hand over the man's heart, and stopped it with his telekinetic abilities. This kill was devoid of all malice and sorrow. So the people who witnessed him do this saw that he had no reaction in his eyes. I also thought it was interesting because it's brother killing brother, And like, is the inference, this is Cain and Abel. According to the emperor's own words, this is when he realized that humanity needed law, order, and the guidance of a ruler to reach its full potential. He moved from this village some time after this to the first city of humanity, which is assumed to be one of the Sumerian city-states of ancient Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia is the ancient fertile crescent of Western Asia. Basically this is a Middle Eastern region which currently has the countries of Iraq, Syria and Iran in its area. It's along a fertile valley river that was fed by the Tigris Euphrates river system. So there's a fertile river valley and there are two major rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates that run through it and this allowed for a lot. It's called the Fertile Crescent because a lot of crops grew in that area. It is just North, or it's just southeast of Anatolia, so it's it's kind of all same in the same area. And this is one of the cradles of civilization. This is, uh, yeah, cradles of civilization, not necessarily cradles of humanity, but cradles of civilization areas. It's one of the areas where we find the oldest existing civilizations in our modern world. Sumer, which is the oldest known civilization, and obviously the Sumerian Empire of the ancient world in a lot of ways is the line in sand that we currently draw between what we consider prehistoric times and ancient history for historical context, this dates back to the sixth or fifth millennium BCE. And again, the difference between prehistoric times and ancient history is the fact that we started writing shit down. That's when we find, and the really funny thing is some of the earliest records we have which actually leads to the belief that we were probably writing stuff down earlier, but those records didn't survive. Are literally like tax documents. <laughs> they're like they're lists of stuff that people owned that was being traded and how much other people owed. It's not like ancient wisdom. It's literally like Bob owes me thirty five dollars for ten barrels of grain I gave
1: him last week. Give me week. my fucking money. <laughs> right, it's always been about money. Uh, so. How soon before Jesus did we start recording history? 6,000 6, years, roughly. 6,000 years before,
0: so before I, Jesus. It's not, we, so BC, a lot of people always go to meaning before Christ. And I think BC did mean before Christ at one point. And yep. AD means Amina Damus, which is like after awakening or something. It's what it actually stands for. Mm-hmm. However, more contemporarily and this happened like 30 or 40 years ago. It's really funny that people still argue about it being the new thing. This happened several like decades ago. But a lot of the scientific community moved to BCE, which is before common era, which is essentially if you if you look at year 0 as being the birth of Jesus Christ, BCE would be the time before the birth of Jesus Christ. And that's just become like a weird way to demark history mm-hmm. because there are roman records that suggest that there was a person there, there are roman records that there was a person named jesus he did cause a bunch of havoc and he was put to death so we know that and that's something that can sync up essentially apocryphal texts with written history And apocryphal being like stories that allude to things happening. So the Bible is an apocryphal text. The Bible is a collection of things that may have happened. Hippocrates is a collection of things that may have happened. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And it connects to some historical facts. And obviously we find stuff all the time. There was a big contention or argument that Troy didn't exist. And then they found Troy in like the 1950s. Or they found what they think is Troy in the
2: 1950s. A missing ankle. So, So. Yep. <laughs> so ba- basically, what you're saying, based on on modern calendars, yes, a lot of two thousand years before Christ, the emperor was born. No, eight thousand no. years, eight thousand years before Christ. Yeah, yeah. He's six uh, thousand, but
0: six thousand years before. Well, ne- Neolithic would be, yeah, pr- post caveman, pre bronze age, yeah. essentially. Okay. Stone Age, late Stone Age. The The Sumerian Empire is one of the first Bronze Age civilizations that we know of. And they yeah. were brutal as fuck. They murdered yep. a lot of people. The Byzantine Empire is another empire, same area. The Byzantine Empire is the first place that ever wrote down laws. And, the, and this is where they're placing the emperor. The, so the emperor, theoretically, as you had alluded to earlier, could have been Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar, who's one of the ancient uh, Babylonian rulers that in, apparently influenced laws and stuff like that. I was
2: going to say Merlin. I well, <laughs> it's just yeah, the I, stuff I've 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 read before. It's always so the, they, the mysterious legends, me, the the men of power, all the weird wizards well, and Rasputin, things like that. Always, it's
0: it's the emperor. We'll get into that. We'll, well, we'll touch on that in more of a concept than an act. Like, I'm not going to give yeah, names, yeah. but we'll touch on it in concept. So for thousands of years, between this move and his efforts during the Unification Wars, so between when he moved to the Sumerian Empire and the Unification Wars, the emperor guided and watched humanity, taking on the guise of a large number of historical figures, always aware of how human nature was acting to feed the growth of the chaos gods deep within the warp. His guidance overall sought to promote peace and harmony on old earth. His hopes lay in curbing the growth of the ruinous powers. Although he was the most powerful psyker and perpetuals, he was far from alone and he kept a council with the other perpetuals for a time. As an example, he traveled with Olivia Sereca another perpetual to the night world of Molech during the dark age of technology. This was a one-way trip. It was a one-way trip I mentioned earlier. There he discovered a warp gate, which granted him access to the realms of chaos, which he entered. Legend says that there he forged an unknown bargain with the chaos gods, which imbued him with new powers and even greater knowledge, some of which he would use later in the creation of the Primarchs. He left Sureka behind to guard the gate on Molech until his plan for the future would reunite the planet with the Imperium of Man. There is no official record of how the Emperor got back to Old Earth as the trip to Moloch happened early enough in the Dark Age of Technology that it was essentially a one-way trip. There is also no real account of when the Chaos Gods became aware of the Emperor's power and his stance against them, but it was sometime after the deal that he made with them that they became aware of the threat that he posed and began to recognize him as the Anathema. So it is highly suggested that the emperor traveled from the warp gate on molek back to the warp gate on earth and that's how he knew enough of the webway and that earth had a webway portal it's it's never stated but it's it's alluded yeah it's winked and nodded at quite a bit
1: also alluded to that he made a deal with chaos gods to gain his powers or
0: legend legend says that's lore oh he, he, go, he went into the warp and he made
2: a deal, a deal with the devil
0: with the three chaos powers at that point because Slanish wasn't around yet and he tricked them essentially into granting him a bunch of knowledge and power. And huh. it was after this bargain where he tricked them that they realized how powerful he was and that he was a problem.
2: Because in one of the old but novels... God, not novel. I want to say it's a great Grey night Codex. I think it's Zinch has to deal with a uh, little girl and her uh, her little uh, little poodle that shows up in a in a dress and tricks Zinch into escaping. A lot of people always think that was the Emperor in disguise.
0: Well, and the other thing hmm. with this meeting with the Emperor, this original meeting where he essentially bargained with them to get knowledge and power knowledge and psychic abilities from them he left traps within those bargains so one of the things that all the chaos gods do is they strike these bargains with mortals and the, the it's it's the it's the common trope or myth of the wish you wish him a djinn and if you don't specify your wish correctly the djinn's gonna fuck you over that's a very common mythological lesson or or trope. Right, like I wish for a
1: million dollars and then like a mob boss crashes his car with a million dollars in it next to you and his brother mob boss knows that you have it. Now you have a million dollars, but it's the mob's
0: million dollars. Do you really think that I wished for a 12-inch pianist? (laughs) (laughs) That old joke. But it's essentially that. But the emperor was smart enough at this point that he was able to work a bunch of tricks into the bargain. So it freed him. It was ironclad on his side and it freed him, but it also left enough things behind that those trained or versed other perpetuals potentially in the arts of the emperor would be able to use them to slip the traps that were laid by the ruinous powers as well. So this little girl, for instance, could have just been a perpetual who knew one of those code words. She knew the right things to say that made Zinch go, Oh, for fuck's sake, and have to
1: let her go, essentially. Yep. Oh, huh. interesting. And th- yeah, th- that's an old this story is, too.
0: This is why the Emperor is known as the Anathema, because he fucked them over. He they see it as he stole from them. He sees it as it wasn't their power and their knowledge to begin with, because he's again, protecting
1: humanity. They were they're created essentially, by emotion in the first place. They're essentially created
0: by. by the souls and emotions and and yeah thoughts of dead dead people. <laughs> so, am I really stealing from you, or am I just taking what was never yours to begin with? Kind of concept, yeah. like the the uh, there was a king in Poland who buried a bunch of potatoes. Or there is there there's a famine happening, and potatoes grow really well, but the Polish people didn't like the taste of potatoes. And the king in Poland buried a bunch of potatoes on his private property and then told the, guard, told the citizenry, these are my private farms. Do not, for any circumstance, come onto my private farms and steal my potatoes. And then he told his guards, hey, don't ever catch anybody. Always be sleeping or always be absent. So they'll come and steal potatoes because the King of Poland realized the only way that we're going to survive this famine is if people eat potatoes and they don't want to eat potatoes because they think potatoes are dirty food. But if they think they're stealing them from me and that's like the sort of shit that the emperor did with the chaos gods.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty, pretty genius. Yep. That's why he's the emperor. That, that's why he's the boss. That's why he's dead on a, that's why he's dead on a throne yeah. for humanity. <laughs> they,
0: well, and that and that's the thing. If you charm a snake, eventually the chances you're going to get bit get bigger and bigger and bigger, right? Mm-hmm. But the longer you play with fire, the greater chances you're going to get burned. As we covered in the Unification Wars, at the end of the Age of Strife, the Emperor came out of obscurity to conquer the warring factions of Old Earth and unify it into Terra. Eventually, with the assistance of the ancient Mechanicum of Mars, he have formally founded the Imperium in the later years of the 30th millennium. So this would be 30,000 years after the birth of Jesus Christ. He created the Space Marine Legions and the Primarchs with a plan to unite all the lost worlds of humanity during the Great Crusade. However, due to the mendling of the ruinous powers, the 20 Primarch infants were scattered across the stars. The Great Crusade became as much a search and rescue mission as it still matched his original plans for humanity. While this 2,000-year conflict would unite humanity as the Emperor had designed for and planned, it would also years. sow the seeds of the Horus heresy to come and the 10,000 years of social and technological stagnation that have led to the brutal, often barbaric, superstitious galaxy of modern Warhammer
1: 40K. So the suns got scattered to the, uh, the winds of the galaxy, yep. solar winds, and some of them came back a little butt hurt <laughs> and <Yep>. uh, it, <laughs> yeah. co- it caused a lot of friction within the family. Yep. Yep. And a lot of em- people got mad at dad <laughs> and the emperor isn't very empathetic. So yep. when they come back with a bad attitude, he's just like, you can fuck off with that. And then took a sword to the chest. Yeah. Uh, Mark, you
0: summed it all up. Uh podcast is over. Thank you for joining us for this two and a half years Um, we'll (laughs) see you for (laughs) a (laughs) conspiracy
3: The Primarchs. They shall be my sons, and in them will live the hopes of a united humanity. Theirs will be the strength to prevail, not only when victory lies within easy reach, but even when it seems unattainable. When doom (laughs) settles like a shroud all about, in those times of darkness, my noble sons will shine the brightest of all.
0: These 20 sons of the Emperor of Mankind were genetically engineered and crafted transhumans created in the later years of the 30th millennium. His intention was for these immortal warriors to act as the general statesmen and counselors of his great crusade, a great crusade that sought to reunite all of the worlds of humanity, which had been settled during the dark age of technology and then lost during the age of strife. Their gene seed, or genome patterns, would also serve as the genetic template for the Emperor's 20 Space Marine Legions. As we have mentioned, they were designed and bred to be perfect generals on the field of battle, while also maintaining the poise and presence of mind to lead in peacetime, like warrior kings of old legend or the knights of the round table. There you go, Chuck. But they were also gene-crafted to be larger, stronger, faster, and smarter than any normal human possessing preternatural charisma that served their statecraft and matched their martial prowess on the battlefield. Like living examples of the mythical gods of old earth, untouchable by disease, age, or by the failings of other lesser humans. Uh, Allegedly. (laughs) Lots of air quotes around that whole part. (laughs) Are you mad, Chuck? Are you mad?
2: No, I'm not mad. Because there are some of those uh, sons that actually live up to that. Allegedly. Allegedly.
0: And there was definitely, or there definitely are a lot of connections. You you had brought this up with Merlin earlier. There are a lot of connections between the Knights of the Round Table and the Primarchs. Yeah. How do you which, feel about
1: that, Chuck? What the, the
2: connection to Arthur and his court?
1: Well, just like you know how the how all the sons kind of got screwed over.
2: Well, we just got to look at it this way. They're still humans, allegedly.
1: Although, oh, oh, yeah it's it's fine troy i was trying to give you a you know a little uh what i was trying to you give you a be little upset no no no, no he's no, he trying
0: to give you a moment to he talk was trying, about your
1: <laughs> trying to he's trying to give chuck his time to shine what talk about the his, loyalists his, his, of the loyalists boys
2: or or the one or the one that talks to his uh little monsters under his bed or you know he, the,
0: he plays sad violin music and i just think of sanguineous Uh, My boy, look at what they've done to my boy. (laughs) I'm not even a blood angels player. I don't understand.
2: Yeah, you're you're having a lot of grief on that one. (laughs) You know you know why you're having grief on that one? You'll probably touch on it. What? Sanguinius is actually the most beloved of the Primarchs. He really is. He really is. He was.
0: Every time we say Sanguineous, you're going to have to play sad violin music. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's too good. It's too good not, not to pass up. Each Primarch was bred to embody an aspect of war, much like the Thunder Warrior Primarchs, which had come before them. Although, in the case of the Thunder Warriors, this was more of a title given to standout warriors and less of a generic heritage that was predisposed. One of the Primarchs would be the greatest strategist ever known, another the personification of the terrors of war, another the master of psychic arts, another would be the best at fortifications and defenses, and so on and such worth. Disciplines the Emperor would need to work in concert in order to execute the Great Crusade and bring all of humanity's far-flung worlds back into the fold. The Emperor had intended to raise his sons, to be the best military commanders and political leaders in human history, having a direct hand in their tutelage. Raised to know the imperial truth above all else, but the Chaos Gods had other plans. They put into action a plan which saw the Primarchs scattered when they were still developing. Without the Emperor's care and guidance and the ability for corrective action, they would develop personalities and be influenced in ways that matched the circumstances of their homeworlds, rather than his carefully laid out and designed plans. But for all their gifts, the Primarchs were still, at their core, just men. In the end, their all-too-human flaws would become a major obstacle to the Emperor's plans, and in some ways, maybe even doom humanity to the grim darkness of eternal war.
2: Uh, Yeah, that's like uh, how it happens.
0: (laughs) It it, it sounded like you were going to, at first you were like, and then... They were forced to eat Robin's minstrels, and there was much rejoicing. Yay! <laughs> That's like what it sounded like Chuck started off with. Yay! Yay. For just a
1: second. <laughs> well, it makes for a good story, right? If yeah, all of them does. were raised and made to do what he created them to do, it wouldn't be as uh, as interesting as sending them all to their home planets and having go yeah. through uh, it's just... trials and tribulations of <laughs> having to go through and deal with human scum and crawling their way to you know out of out of the dirt of becoming yeah <laughs> and becoming the uh, extremely large powerful individuals that they were don't don't we we all- forget
2: to play that music <laughs> when you talk about the chaos gods getting their second choices not their first choices of primarchs
0: <laughs> kind of so Mm-mm. the no. There's only, like, one or two Primarchs they wanted that they didn't get. And you're right. Dorn was one of them. He's the linchpin. But they got a lot of their
2: first choices, too. <laughs> and
0: But anyway. Uh,
1: there's they, get, we, they got all the... Uh,
2: the second-hand ones. The yeah. second one.
1: Second that's... <laughs>
0: just give Marky a soundboard and watch chaos, right? Uh, There you go. (laughs) A lot of the reasons that we like the primarchs and that a lot of the reasons that what Marky just said works and is effective is because we all like the hero's journey. It's the classic modern example. The modern classic example of the hero's journey is Luke Skywalker's path through the star Wars films. But the hero's journey is, you know, Odysseus, in the Iliad and the Odyssey, it's a very, very old storytelling trope. It's a storytelling trope that actually comes from the ancient Greek, from pre-modern history era. It's something that comes from like 2000 BCE. It's something that comes from 2000 years before the birth of Christ. It's this whole idea that the there is... invented it. Yeah, exactly. That there is a, a character, and this character has to go through trials and tribulations, and they have to meet a wise figure who leads them on the path to some sort of enlightenment and discovery. And that's very much how the primarchs are dealt with in their own ways. They go through these heroes journeys and that allows them to develop and allows them to get flaws. It allows them to have failings and succumb to things and all of that stuff. And that's interesting. That's an interesting storytelling type. What the emperor wanted though was like, here are my perfect knights. I raised them and as soon as he saw something, and that I, I don't know if I got it across, but if the Primarchs had all been raised in his house, as soon as he saw something, kill it, start over. That's what would have happened. As soon as he saw a flaw, he would have killed the child and started over immediately.
1: They it would have been more like uh like Spartans, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah.
0: I made a mistake with Lehman Russ, he's too feral. I have to kill him. The trait in Lehman That everybody identifies as being badass and cool. And the thing that makes him a valuable tool even to the Emperor and the Imperium as a whole is something that if it happened under the Emperor's roof by the way that the Emperor dictated and did things, the Emperor probably would have fucking killed him. As soon as those canines got a little too long and as soon as he started acting like a dog boy, the Emperor would have fucking whacked him and started over. Same with Angron. As soon as Angron showed that, like, little bit too much aggression, kill him and start over. Finish him!
2: Exactly. All right.
0: The, <laughs> 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 the Primark Project. This massive scientific effort started before the end of the Unification Wars. While it is unknown exactly when it began, Pertorabo would later estimate his own birth to the year of 792.M30, which might suggest an approximate end to the Primarch Project. It should be noted, however, that he did mean his arrival on Olympia. All of the Primarchs were born out of their gestation capsules when they crash-landed. So this would be, assume, two, three years in the warp, maybe five years in the warp, however long they would have traveled. As soon as they crash-landed, they opened. How the Emperor, and again, the baby wouldn't have gone through five years. The warp may have distorted time by five years. How the emperor crafted twenty individual superhumans using his own genetic perpetual code as a base, without the use of cloning, is completely lost. Cloning is really, really, really illegal, especially in the early Imperium. It's kind of illegal now. The clones that do exist are uh, what's it called when you come up with a loophole? It's a loophole.
2: <laughs> They're all loopholes. A gray area. <laughs> it's
0: a gray area and a loophole. Uh, but cloning is not. It was not seen as a good thing by the Emperor. Uh, by the emperor, It was very illegal. And for whatever reason, that part of the Imperial truth has stayed around. However, it is most likely that he used a two-stage process, the first in which he extracted his own DNA to act as a foundation for the pure Primark gene stock template. So this would be the vanilla Primarch. If there was a base Primarch that had nothing done to it, this is that person. This is that blank slate, so to speak. This foundational gene stock could then be replicated and further manipulated into the creation of each individual Primarch's genome. The Ravengard apothecary and the Magos generator of the Mechanicum later analyzed the gene stock during the Horus heresy. At this time, it's noted that two of the samples had been deleted and destroyed intentionally. While the others showed signs of manipulation and addition of even non-human DNA. In this we case <laughs> ma- Sorry. <laughs> really? In this case, subject six was had additional canine-like DNA added to it. While it isn't clear if these sample numbers exactly match to the suggested Primarch numbers, as in the Sixth Legion, it could also explain the wolf-like tendencies of Lehman Russ and the feral mutation. That is suffered by the space wolves into Wolfen later on. It is also widely theorized that the Emperor used some techniques of psychic sorcery in the creation of the Primarchs. As we mentioned earlier in the one-way trip to Moloch with the other perpetuals, a trip that happened even before the Age of Strife, the Emperor bargained with the Chaos Gods for knowledge and expansion into his own abilities. This suggests that the Primarchs were intended to be spiritually engineered as well as physically engineered, which may go to explaining their preternatural magnetism and enhanced charisma. However, these arcane techniques also meant the Primarchs would shine bright enough in the Immaterium that they would act as lures to demonic entities. Because of this, the Emperor constructed the most powerful Gellerfield ever made around the gene vaults deep beneath the Imperial Palace in the Himalayan Mountains, He also inscribed each Primarch's gestational capsule with arcane symbols of protection and layer upon layer of additional wards. But as we mentioned, the Chaos Gods still caught wind of the Emperor's plans and acted in their own interest. Their power would be weakened by the Primarchs, and the spread of the Imperial truth would replace the fear and superstition they thrived on with science and reasoning. Basically, if the plan had gone according to plan, the gods knew the ruinous powers knew that their influence would wax and wane and they would become weaker and weaker until they were able to be defeated by the emperor. As a side to note, <laughs> <laughs> right. As a side note, before we get into the scattering of the primarchs, as of this recording, some of this lore is being filled out and expanded upon in the siege of Terra novels. As we know now, the emperor didn't work alone to craft the primarchs and the space Marines. As we covered in part two of the Unification Wars, it became advantageous to the machine of the Imperium and the Emperor himself if the Emperor was seen as being even more all-powerful than he actually was. This means that the Imperium's propaganda machine is bent towards removing the assistance of all other scholars and scientists from the official record. And that's very clearly... I And the first case of that being mentioned was earlier it feels like a late lore edition but it was mentioned earlier i want to say third edition they had already started to play around with the idea that the actual history of the unification war is is so propagandized to make the emperor look like he single-handedly was involved in every battle and even the early portion of the great crusade as the horus heresy was being written which I believe started late third edition, early fourth editions, when the novel started to be written. They were playing around with the idea that the reason that the remembrancers started being sent with the legions was because so much of it was becoming propagandized and the emperor wanted an actual
2: record, actual that- records, right? So we're,
0: <laughs> we're in that twilight zone mix
2: we
1: are getting there it's for our tinfoil hat
2: segments <laughs> tinfoil
1: <hats.
2: laughs> well no it makes sense to me with the whole propaganda machine especially once you know finger quotes the emperor's lost to the imperium and all that's left is uh generals and warlords and primarchs got, that gotta hold it together i i you know they start realizing that whatever you call the original Imperial faith book was written. and Everybody started reading it. It's like everyone started believing the emperor was a God. So you got to run with it to hold humanity. Otherwise you start getting horrible splinter cells and back to the age of strife. Yeah.
0: It- annoys me supremely that i can never remember it but it's like the leviticus divinity divinicus leviticus or leviticus davidicus or something like that
2: well it, it's something i'm not gonna try and pronounce yeah, sounds we'll, very latin
0: we'll talk about it in in just a couple episodes actually was as we get into that stuff um, yeah. keener and her story the first imperial saint and her story is part of the Horus Heresy that I find she's, incredibly fascinating.
2: She's the one that they save, right? She's on so, What's the book? The Flight of the Eisenhorn Eisenstein. Eisenstein. Yeah, no, she so, she's that remembered sir, correct?
0: I believe she well, I don't really know if saved is what you would say. That's when she's transported. She's transported back to Terra and locked in the dark vaults for a time being. But She's actually yeah. saved by
2: L- Wolf.
0: Loken, L- Loken, 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 Loken yep. at one point, point. and I think she's saved on during the massive incursion onto the phalanx where everything goes wrong
2: Jeez. before the final
0: battle when the demons infest the phalanx. So yeah, when I the heard. Librarian Order stops, when the Librarian Order becomes the Librarian Order after the Council of Nice. There's a bunch of shit yeah. that happens. There's a bunch of
2: stuff that happens, yeah. But what yeah. I'm getting at, she's the one in like the third or fourth book yes. that Yeah says so she's, she's a- the reason why also see it's why I need to finish reading the books. She's also the reason why there's black Templars.
0: Yes. Yeah she's she's wrapped up in all of it. So she's essentially she's a photographer and she takes a picture of Horus. She, she's a photographer, and she's attached to the sons of Horus, the Luna Wolves. And she's exposed to a bunch of different things with Loken. Loken is a son of Horus. Um, who's on the council? Who is on? Yeah, he's on the Morivel council. He's also one of the original Grace Shields, and possibly one of the original founders of the Gray Knights. He is not. He does not fall with the rest of the legion. Nope. He's a good guy. Well. He's as good as he's a good guy in that story from that perspective. Um, Keener eventually rewrites a huge chunk of Logar's book to the Emperor and becomes the first saint. And the, the way she becomes the first saint is some flamers of Zinch manifest on one of the ships. Yep. And they are about to attack a bunch of guardsmen, I think. And Keener just happens to be in the way. And she manifests the the energy of the emperor and air quotes as a magical barrier and defeats them. She basically burns the flamers of Zinch out. And at, at that point, she's immediately imprisoned as being a psyker and she's immediately transferred uh, a couple of times. She witnesses a couple of other big, Events of the heresy, and then she's transferred back to Earth, or she's transferred back to the Soul System. And when she gets back to Soul System, she is locked in one of the asteroid prisons around Titan. Um, and this is like we are so into,
2: yeah, further into the heresy. Yeah, now.
0: We're, we're way off on Didn't tangent mean to do that. land with all the Keener stuff. But Keener is very important. We will talk. She's very in, to me. She's a very interesting character. And why? Malkador decides that she needs to exist and basically has to talk the emperor into it. The threshold of no religion has passed. We now need religion. (laughs) Like it didn't work. We're fucked. We need to use the last ace up our sleeve essentially. And that ends up being Keener. And that's the whole reason that the Imperial truth exists is because essentially of one photographer and Logar that fucking asshole. (laughs) So, Erda. If the Emperor is the father of the Primarchs, you could consider Erda to be their mother. Erda is another Perpetual and is considered to be the most powerful of her kind. To be clear, the Emperor is more powerful, but he is also most likely the reincarnation of several Perpetuals into one being, while Erda is the most powerful Perpetual. So, Erda is not several souls in one body. She is just one really powerful. To put it into perspective, she is second only to the emperor when it comes to the power scale of humanity. The emperor is on top. Erda is second. Erda meant the emperor during old earth's ancient past when he was the warlord king known as Neoth in the age of cities. It's hard to assume when this was, but I would guess we're still talking the Sumerian Byzantine empire era. So 4,000-ish BCE. So 4,000 years before the birth of Christ. It's however possible that it could mean anything. It could be depending on when the age of first cities was, whether or not the age of first cities was the age of ancient empires or whether or not the age of first cities was like the medieval age or whether or not. Even if the age of first cities means the 1800s or 1700s, Erda met the emperor a Fuck-ass long time before the 30,000th millennia. The Emperor was already shepherding mankind towards the creation of the Imperium, and Erda became one of the many perpetuals that aided him in this task. During this time, she grew to adore and even love the Emperor. As we mentioned in our Unification Wars coverage, as the Emperor's power grew, so did his arrogance in that power, and he began to accelerate his plans. As he cut corners and took risks that saw disasters in the moment, even if they led to desired results, many of these other perpetuals left his cause. As an example of what this might be, the emperor may have been Eisenhower during World War II, and he may have known what was happening in Germany and let it happen, knowing that if something awful enough happened the United Nations would be formed and the United Nations would further step towards the Imperium 2,000 years before his intended timeline. But if he stopped the Holocaust, if he stopped Hitler before, it would take an additional 2,000. So the Emperor started making these extremely Machiavellian and cold calculations, which saw hundreds of millions of people die. They don't That to be clear, in I'm giving an example. Yes, I understand what you're saying. Do not point out any of these things. But they basically say that the Emperor started playing a game of chance with hundreds of millions of lives. And the other perpetuals were like, Fuck you, dog. We're supposed to be the shepherds of humanity. It's our job to protect them, not sacrifice them. We had a plan, and the Emperor was like, Well, no, if we if we do this, the plan gets there. Twice as fast that the hubris started to creep in. Yeah, thank you for understanding what I meant.
2: I get what you're saying. He he, what what you're basically saying? What he's basically saying, Marky, is if if you have a map and you cross out, if if you take a map and you fold it in (laughs) half, you're there faster.
0: Did you just event horizon centerfold explain the emperor's (laughs) plans to Marky? He put the pencil between her forehead and her vagina.
2: (laughs) Whoa. Yeah, there you go.
0: That's what he does. So Sam Neill is explaining faster than light travel. Do you you not remember this? Yeah. In the beginning of event horizon. And he takes the centerfold and he folds her in half. And then he takes a push pin and goes, if you want to get from here where her lips are. To here, where her crotch is, you fold it in half, and you go straight there. That's how he explains it. And, like, yep. that that's that's how, it, pick a sci-fi movie, and it's not always a centerfold, but, like, somebody writes A and B on a piece of paper, folds it in half, it sticks a pencil through it. Like, that's the new way that it's explained. It's really funny. Ever since Event Horizon, and thank you for the porn
1: music. Yep, just you <laughs> needed that while you were explaining how he penetrated a, you know, pencil through a piece of paper.
0: <laughs> so only a few perpetuals, oh, such as Erida and Malkador the Sedulite, stayed by his side. His plans needed perpetuals, though, and with the loss of those who had once been at his side, the Emperor sought to create artificial perpetuals to aid him. This is what led to the beginning of the Primarch Project, a project in which Erida and Astarde were crucial factors.
1: So this is where it all starts getting uh, a little, I guess, more down and dirty. With yeah. uh, the legions and space marines this is this is simultaneously when the thunder warriors this is still unification wars right or that is still unification wars
0: this is still yeah so the biological that well the the primarchs were scattered to the stars during the unification wars and the first space marines were tested during the unification wars so mm-hmm. there's overlap in all of this history gotcha uh, essentially the perpetuals started to leave him and, and in mass numbers during the unification wars, that's when he lost the most. And that's when he realized he needed to make his own perpetuals.
2: And I just want to say from some of the stories I have read, he doesn't kill the other perpetuals.
0: He always no. offers
2: them a choice. And if they stay with them, they do. If they don't, they don't.
0: Yeah. And in a lot of times they just left and yeah. there's, They could still be around. They could be out in the galaxy. There's a lot of seeds that GW, and and this is very characteristic of their lore. They sprinkle seeds around where they can start another story at any time. There's no reason that they couldn't say there's a real threat to the Imperium and the real threat to the Imperium is led by another perpetual. Often some dark, unknown chunk of the galaxy. Or maybe, maybe you would, alluded to this early in the episode that maybe the, the tyranids are running maybe the tyranids are running from an army of perpetuals or maybe just like the silent king from the necron maybe some of the perpetuals went out into deep space and they just haven't come back yet or maybe they all died <laughs> but yeah the emperor did not kill them unless they came into direct conflict with him
2: yeah
1: so i believe
0: one or two of the techno barbarian kings was actually a
1: perpetual
2: so they got what they deserved.
1: then killing a perpetual is like but severing the head from the body and then keeping them separate kind of thing, or what are we talking here?
0: It's not really well described, but there are definitely circumstances in which a perpetual can be killed
1: perpetual killing weapons type thing.
0: Yeah. Something happens, you know, maybe you have to be Connor McLeod from clan, clan (laughs) McLeod and strike the, strike the head from the shoulders and then be close enough to, uh, absorb the lightning to absorb the lightning yeah it's not really well described Uh, we are going to talk about the death of perpetual though erdo was a skilled geneticist and biologist and it is through her skill that the Primarch project was able to succeed eventually even her gene stock was required and incorporated into that foundational genome that gave birth to the Primarchs. this effectively made her their mother however the emperor would prevent her from taking any part in their lives she was in anguish at the future of the Emperor's plans had for her children, because she did see them as her children. As to where the Emperor used the words son, the Emperor's sons, the Emperor didn't necessarily see them as children. He saw them as tools, and calling them sons was effective. Erda very much was like, no, these are beings of my body. They were made with me. They are mine. Whether or not you know, I didn't give birth to them... There was no, that that part of the process was gone, but still, I they were created with my genetic stock, I created them, I labored to make them, I love them, they're my kids. So she was in anguish at the future the Emperor's plaids had for her children, the lives that would be consumed with the preparation for war and the Great Crusade. She knew that they would be raised to be warriors, and she knew that wasn't the life she wanted for them. This was the point where even her faith in the Emperor waned, and she saw the wisdom and those who had left before her it was erida who caused the creation of a warp vortex in the bio labs that saw the infants still in their gestational capsules scattered across the galaxy she had come to believe that this is the only way to give her sons a chance at any form of normal childhood after this she went into hiding and while the emperor raged at her betrayal he never sought to punish or kill her she had stayed on terra and he even knew where she was the entire time According to Erebus, however, the chaos gods had subtly manipulated Erda into fulfilling what they had actually planned. It's important to note here that it is suggested that Erda's intentions, the emperor's last minute attempt to mitigate the disaster, and even the very nature of chaos is what caused the 20 scattered infants to come to rest on ancient worlds that had been settled by the oldest of humanity's settlers worlds that were as unknown and untraceable to the ruinous powers as they were to the emperor. So it's part of the nature of chaos that chaos is not in control of their own plans, but it's also just as likely that Erida and the emperor are the reason that the primarchs weren't lost to like chaos worlds or demon worlds.
1: So let me, let me get this straight. Oh boy. So tinfoil hat. I'm I'm just trying to look at the logic here. So she thought, instead of letting the guy, right, the the yeah, guy bro, right, raise these children to be the best and brightest, but for war, among other things, and, and peace, and and peace, because the plan was always peace, right, right, and conquest. Um, she thought she would try and give them a life normal childhood by sending them and scattering them across the galaxy of course this was you know chaos influenced Uh, is this like almost like an Adam and Eve analogy kind of thing Um, or not not so much
0: And it probably has more in ties with Lilith who's a very strange biblical figure that's not even really in the contemporary bible and would take a lot of explaining to get into so we're not going to go there. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's that's right. That's right. And, it's a whole other episode <clears throat> or
0: three of of lore. <laughs> and on top of that I mean biblical history, sorry. What did I call it?
1: <laughs> no, no, it's fine. I was just kind of looking cuz like it seems like there's a lot of like correlation between history like actual history and d- they're definitely you know, things of the biblical yeah. sense and then like, you know, other other areas um but sending them to essentially unknown planets of you know oldest humanity's settlements and then you have dudes like mortarian and uh what what's what's that fool's name batman conrad cruz Con- yeah conrad. conrad and conrad essentially living very shitty lives yeah
0: well, so her original plan was to open a warp vortex and then yeah. take the kids with her to a different planet.
1: Oh, okay. She wasn't the one who, who sent them like all
0: over the place. She didn't necessarily, well, I guess it's kind of unfully developed or unfully described. There's a, there's a conversation where Erda basically tells John uh, Grammaticus what happened and what she did. And it's through this that we get a lot of the lore that I just talked about. Um, there's a lot more that's entangled in it. There's a lot more detail in it, but essentially she opened the warp vortex because she wanted to move her sons to a different place to give them a better childhood. They were then scattered. However, since it wasn't her intention to scatter them. So essentially you have three beings or three powers all vying for what's going to happen to these 20 infants. Right. One set of beings, the the ruinous powers, wants them to all go to demon worlds so they can corrupt them, make them into their own tools or kill them. Then you have the emperor who's trying to keep them as close to earth as possible or keep them on earth. And then you have Edra who wants them to be safe and not in the ruinous powers control or in the emperor's control. And through the manipulation of those three, you know, say it's like a three-way psychic battle right they're scattered to these worlds that just happen to be some of the most ancient settled and therefore completely hidden from both the ruinous powers and the emperor
1: gotcha so um, all three of them kind of got a little bit of what they wanted what they wanted
0: the other thing is is that edra understood by going through the Primarch project with the emperor and there's no idea we don't really know i mean the Primarch project could have been a six thousand year project and and who knows maybe there were 37 primarchs to begin with and only 20 made the cut whatever that process was erda became very very aware of the fact that the emperor would do whatever he needed to in order to meet his goals so she realized that the first time little Lehman picked up his plate and ate with his you know ate his mashed potatoes by mashing his face into the plate without using his utensils that the emperor was going to fucking bless him with a bolter from across the table. I I love that you use
2: Russ for that. (laughs) Well, who else
0: is going to eat like a feral child at the dinner table?
2: (laughs) Nobody ever says Russ is feral.
0: Yeah. He's, he's
2: described,
0: he's described as having feral tendencies by (sighs) the Imperium. It's just a
2: thing. He has, he has long teeth. He's very loyal. Sure.
0: He's a very, very, very loyal, angry pit bull who will bite first and ask questions never. I got it. Not even pit bull, wolf that will bite quite bite first and ask questions later. I got it. I got it. <laughs> loyal. <laughs> well, Lehman Russ is described as being feral. That's that is a descriptor used to he refer designed, to Russ and the Wolfen.
2: He was designed for putting other legions to rest. No. He was
0: utilized to put other legions to rest. He was designed to be raised as a courtly knight at the emperor's table. And that's the the distinction. He
4: needs some milk.
0: (laughs) And that's the distinction of this portion of the story. The emperor did not plan for Lehman and the Space Wolves to end up the way they were. He wanted them to be completely different. But... When he got the tool, he was like, This is useful. And that's what Erida didn't like. Erida didn't like that they couldn't be her sons, that they couldn't have normal lives. And that's why she did what she did. And she even admits, This was a giant mistake. I never should have done it. I should have been active. I should have fought him and been active in their lives on Terra. I fucked up. I am the reason for the Horus hair. Like, I am the reason for my son Horus's fall. She, at the end of her life, one hundred percent blamed herself for what was happening well she didn't one hundred percent blame herself but she one hundred percent accepted that she was a portion of of why it it was happening she had no sort of like i just wanted the best i'm perfect she was very much like i get it i fucked up this is my pro i am to blame for some of this most of this (laughs) <laughs> Damn, Marky. That's what seems you just like side, Why don't you just side with Chuck? <laughs> it's like he is. So yeah. Erida's story becomes entangled in the efforts of John Grammaticus and the Cabal, but that is definitely a story for a different episode at another time. In the later stages of the Siege of Terra, she is confronted in her home by Erebus, who seeks her to join Chaos. She refuses. At this, Erebus summons one of all types of greater demons against her. So she has to fight a greater demon of all four chaos gods. At this, she reveals her true power, becoming the tripartite being, a dark-skinned woman wielding a staff, an old crone capable of freezing with a touch, and a young woman yielding a sickle. She becomes the maiden, the matron, and the crone, essentially. She kills the demons, but is gravely wounded in the process. In her final moments, Erebus places his ethema blade to her neck and demands she joins Chaos once again. She refuses and spits into his face. He then claims her life by plunging his blade deep into her neck, severing her head. Um, the uh, ethem, uh, ethem blades? The Athem blades? I'm not sure how you pronounce it. It's, it's anathema, but it's not the full word. It's almost yeah. like an enema blade. It's an enema blade. They are one of the things that are mentioned as of killing, being capable of killing perpetuals and the emperor
2: Yep, and the emperor can do it like many
0: other perpetuals. Yeah. And the emperor is also cut with an, a blade. True. Yep,
2: He can be killed by one supposedly
0: like many other perpetuals. This seems to be her end suggesting there are circumstances where they can either choose to die or will be killed or at least circumstances that make their reincarnation extremely slow. So what we know about Perpetuals is that Erda could come back. I mean, she's a Perpetual. There's nothing lore-wise that can't just say, oh, she's back at some point.
1: Um, yeah, I like the whole idea of like them choosing whether they like, will die and require it or not. Or not.
2: I, I like the whole idea, too, that the Emperor, this is just me with you reading that right now, like, You know, everyone makes it seem like you know he's very emotionless. I think he's just right. very, very focused on humanity. Like, Surgical. He's, yeah, he's, he's,
0: Mac, he's He's presented as a Machiavellian character. Machiavelli is an author who wrote a book called The Prince, and one of the portions of the book, The Prince, one of the portions of, the, I guess, the philosophy, if you will, of The Prince is that the ends justify the means, and that is something that the emperor is yes. 100% amount. The yeah. emperor will sacrifice... And if the emperor is, and whatever yeah if For the emperor humanity. yeah if the emperor is given a choice between sacrificing a hundred wor- human worlds to, to save, save humanity yeah he'll take it 100 percent, he'll take it and I, and that's the contention with the emperor as a character is is that right or should you try to do both essentially should
1: you try to uh, save the hundred so worlds that, and the that commissar that exterminatist like a whole row of planets to slow the tyranids down he was he was Rip thinking it. like the emperor he was thinking like the emperor yeah but everyone calls him an idiot yeah. well yeah because it didn't work <laughs> <laughs> to, at, at hindsight's 2020 20, man <laughs> he also, just,
0: it, <laughs> he also went against the inquisition when he did like he like Cripman,
1: the Emperor went yeah. against like normal morality when he did right, right. made the, the decisions he did. But the Emperor is, is the number
0: one not not can't be wrong man. Crippman uh, is just a dude, bro.
1: I would like to I think, think he was wrong with with doing the, the Thunder Warriors dirty like he did. There, back to that. There we are. So uh, I, I would uh, like it to always circles back to that because in, it was in, the ultimate betrayal.
2: And it was a tool that got you know the the blade got too dull, couldn't sharpen it no more, just tossed it on onto to his new uh k bar oh I'm sorry he's
1: it's too hot to handle so
2: yeah.
1: you know <laughs> 19, 1911s were you know oh still still God, a super reliable gun that people really like still just is. because we moved to the m nine doesn't mean that it's the better more you know, the better choice in, in this scenario. This is an interesting analogy that an you just came up analogy. with. Like that
2: <laughs> so what I was going to say was before, before he started going on, that was uh, what I'd like to think <laughs> with all the stuff that we talk about the emperor and everything that goes on. So we all know Sanguidius gets a tattoo <laughs> for, his, for his fallen uh, sons. I would like to think now hearing this little bit that you talked about, about, about Ir- Irata, that erida i would like to think that the emperor gets a tattoo on his arm a little heart tattoo american it says, traditional it says heart er- tattoo Erda
0: in the middle of it Says it right in the middle
2: Says it right in the middle
0: got a little crack going down it no no sanguinius has it tattooed on his arm it, no. says, it says mom it says and mom then underneath it it has her name her full name no. i'd like i like to think
2: the emperor has has that heart somewhere <laughs>
0: Is it because I mentioned Sanguinius again? Is that what's happening? Yeah. (laughs) He said every time. Love it. All right, guys. Well, that wraps it up for our first episode on the emperor and his Primarchs. we will pick it back up next episode with the scattering of the Primarchs and the rest of their individual stories or at least an introduction Ooh. to the rest of their individual stories
2: some of them are worth listening to the rest can just eh, eh, who cares
0: chuck wants a four hour episode on dorn and everybody else can it doesn't have to be four hours <laughs> it's got to be at least six episodes Dorne, that's
2: dorn dorn and vulcan in uh I wouldn't mind Conrad Cruz. He's a little dark, but that that would be a good one.
0: I'm a I'm actually a relatively big fan of Perturabo and the con. I think they're my favorites. Perturabo, whatever. I am also a relatively big Horace fan. Um Well, of course. He's the most
2: he's the second most charismatic.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. He's second to the yeah.
2: Sanguineous.
0: <laughs> well, I know well lore wise a lot of it is that the the emperor or horus is second to the emperor is ah. what
2: happens everybody just loves sanguinius he's yeah. the best one to get along with he like he liked everybody yep yeah, yeah.
0: sanguinius got I along with everybody look something like this sorry what like my email needs to look like what
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, <the outro.
2: laughs> he'd be he'd be he'd be that guy He invites everybody to the party while some of the other ones wouldn't. Right. Right.
1: I actually
0: don't. I I know that I, it seems like I pick on him a lot, but I also don't necessarily mind Lehman Russ. Lehman Russ is kind of a cool Primarch too. I, I'm not picking on Lehman Russ because I don't like space wolves. I'm picking on Lehman Russ because Lehman Russ is used as an example, a lot in lore of what was not supposed to happen with the Primarchs. They were not supposed to end up like Lehman Russ. Now, Lehman Russ ended up being a very good tool. Another example would actually be Angron. Angron is another example of this was not supposed to happen, but incredibly effective tool. And then there's Gilliman (laughs) who is a tool, not an effect. He's just, just a normal regular old fucking tool. What a tool. Yeah, He's a whole other conversation. Goddamn tool. <laughs> <laughs> Wanna get in contact with us about the show or ask us about some bit of lore you feel we missed or maybe share your own short stories, homebrew, lore and spooky dookies, reach out to us by email at under the hive of madness at gmail.com or dark gaming at gmail.com.
1: You can also reach us through our community on Discord. There we chat about forty K lore, hobby, tactics, age of Sigmar, Warhammer fantasy fantasy battle, creative writing, video games, role playing, and much more. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok or at UnderTheHiveOfMadness.com. Like us and review us wherever you get your podcast fix. Our home is on Spotify, but you can find us on Apple, Google, Audible, Stitcher, and many more. Support us through Patreon at www.patreon.com
0: slash UnderTheHiveOfMadness. Patreon members get access to a video podcast with minimal editing so you can see our faces, follow along with what we're looking at on screen, and hear our bloopers in real time. All Patreon levels also get access to our quarterly painting contest. Plus, we have other perks at higher levels, so go on over and check it out. Bexie's Flackenjack, home of the all-you-can-eat sump chowder trough. Three creds gets you a bowl, and it's all you can dip. Don't forget to wash it all down with the coldest pints of arrogant grot you can buy anywhere in the hive. We are the degenerate crust punks your mama always warned you about. Tearing through the underhive like that sump soup through an unprepared hiver. 665.66 UHMR ChemRat Radio. Reminding all of you ChemRats, Hive mice, and sump ghoulies to keep those dials fixed right here. Same ratty frequency for a dose of the same ratty ass attitude. We'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons. Starting
1: out with Lewis M, aka Beast and Brushes, and a big thank you to Daniel H, another new member, and we appreciate the support.
2: Uh, I'd like to thank Andrew Q
0: and a big shout out to Halfrim
2: E
1: and thank you Nathan P. I'd
2: like to thank Barco,
1: <laughs> Tom B. Thank you very much, Jack A. Wilsonius. Appreciate you. Thorfinn. Robert S. Huge thank you to Semi. Love the support, man. Appreciate you. The stink boy himself. Big Mons. Uh, the other half of my massive Tyranid swarm, Patrick B.
2: And the one and only Chuck. Thank you. The myth, the legend, always laying in it, Minion
0: Coffin. One of our moderators, the ever-present, ever-illuminated Bearmex.
1: And a special thank you to uh, the lovely, beautiful (laughs) Ichbard.
0: I love the sax. I love sexy saxophone for (laughs) Ickbard. Patrons, if you guys have nicknames that you want us to read, either as AKAs or in place of your name, just contact us. We are more than happy to do that.
3: I told my daughter there was no such thing as monsters as I picked her up and told her she could sleep
0: in our bed tonight. It was the safest way to get her out of the hab. I had seen it, too. The four-armed mass with six eyes hiding in her closet. Nope. (laughs) Read a book. (laughs) Surprise, motherfucker. (laughs) That's what we're ending on.